You found it. It's the iPhone Photo Show, the big show all about iPhone photography and video. I'm your host, Scott Bourne, joined today, as always, by the inevitable Mr. Jefferson Graham. How you doing, Jefferson? I'm just fine. I, I'm, I'm in tip mode today. I'm so excited. We're going to do a very special episode. We <laughs> have never tried anything like this. We're going to just riff on tips. It's nothing but tips. There's no interviews. There's no pick of the week. It's just tips. We're going to give all kinds of tips on how to get the most out of your iPhone. Now, last week, we opened the show with a question from Tom Knudsen about metadata. He took a picture in Death Valley, I believe he said. He looked at the metadata. He said, by the way, that he took all of his cameras, but the picture he got from his iPhone was the best one he got. I thought that was cool. And he said, I looked at the metadata. It said it was shot at F1.5, 1 thousandth of a second, and ISO 64. And he wants to know... How did the shot work at those settings? He did mention to me he was on a tripod, but I don't think it's relevant. Well, here's the thing. First of all, if you do want us to diagnose a photo for you, the best thing you can do is put it into our Flipboard magazine. And the way you do that is you send us an email at iPhonePhotoshow at gmail.com, ask for an invite, and then put it in there and then send us a question. And you can ask the questions, by the way, at our Anchor FM page where you can actually record your audio, which is what Tom did. But the thing that I think I know the answer for Tom is this. First of all, he's probably confused by the aperture being so wide. And why was, you know, why was this so great? Because he would have thought he needed to stop down. Well, there's a couple of things working in his behavior, in his uh, favor. First of all, ISO 64 is great. The iPhone does best with a low ISO, and it gets noisy pretty fast. So the lower you can keep that ISO, the better. Uh, a one five thousandth of a shutter speed, one five thousandth of a second, means you're going to have rock solid. It's not. There's not going to be any camera shake or camera blur so that's going to keep it sharp and probably what concerns him is the 1.5 aperture he's thinking well that's so wide open how can this be so good well i'm going to guess that the distance between the camera and the subject was great and here's why there's a thing called depth of field depth of field has to do with which portions of your image are in the plane of focus. Now, I'm not talking about focus. Focus is a different thing, but the potential to focus from this point to that point is controlled by a thing called depth of field, and aperture has a big role to play there. And at aperture 1.5 is a very wide aperture, which generally would mean that you wouldn't have a very large depth of field. But there are two things to consider here. First of all, we're working on very small sensors. So f1.5 actually has a lot more depth of field than Tom would be used to if he was using like a DSLR and a full frame sensor. And secondly, the big thing is subject to camera distance is a big influence on depth of field. You can be at the close focusing distance of your camera, let's say seven feet on a particular lens, and the aperture could be all the way stopped down to f32 and the depth of field might be a 16th of an inch because as subject to camera distance decreases so does depth of field but that means the inverse is true as subject to camera distance increases so does depth of field so at f1.5 for an object that's far away your depth of field could be a mile 
So my guess is, Tom, that that's the situation, that you have a small sensor, so there's more depth of field than you thought there was, and that perhaps the subject is far away. Now, if you post that image into Flipboard, I can be absolutely certain by taking a look at it. We'd like to invite you to do that. So our first tip is answering Tom's question about that. Now, from here on out, the next couple of tips are going to come from Jefferson Graham. Okay, I'm going to start with uh, three really, really basic tips, which is uh, before you do a shoot, clean the lens, dummy. Uh, how many people just yank the phone out of their pocket and just start shooting with a dirty lens? Now, if you didn't listen to our episode last week about cases that will protect the lens um, and you don't have a case, just clean the lens either with a nice cloth or with your shirt or something, uh, the shirt is fine, that'll help. Also, don't come to the shoot unless your phone has been at 100% uh, battery charged. I, I can't tell you how many people I see show up to places with a dead or dying uh, battery, which is ridiculous when you can buy a little, you could always buy a power, uh, a little power brick and bring it along for like 20 to $30 uh, and we'll, we'll give you an extra eight hours of battery. And it, like, don't go to any shoot without it. So those are my first tip first. Oh, uh, and then there's one more. Um, check your storage before you go on a shoot. Uh, don't <laughs> show up at a shoot with only three gigabytes of available storage when you're going to shoot a lot more than three gigs. Have lots of room and make room before you start the shoot so that you don't uh, run into trouble. I haven't got a single, single thing that I can say that disagree with you. I mean, I actually saw a guy pull his iPhone out of his pocket and he had a big old piece of lint and he hanging on the lens and he was taking these pictures and then I could see him looking at the picture going, what's wrong? He didn't even notice that he had almost like a string laying across it. Yeah, so clean your lens, that's important. Well, here's my first tip. And I like to give this tip a lot because it's, it's served me well. The most important thing to remember, if you want to get top quality professional results from your smartphone camera, you need to treat it, think of it, use it, handle it, and study it as if it were a quote-unquote real camera. The more respect you pay to it, the more it will do for you. So don't just grab it, point a little direction, press a button, call it good. Think about what you're doing. Think about it as if it were a DSLR. And believe me, people who have taken that tip from me have come back and said that really helped a lot. Here's another one. And these are my two other most basic things sort of along the lines of just clean the lens and Make sure you got storage, etc. It helps to set the phone to airplane mode so that you're not interrupted in the middle of taking a time lapse or a long exposure by something. And I, unless you need it for talking to one of your accessories, I like to turn off Wi-Fi. By doing these things, you're going to extend the battery life, which makes it likely that it'll be a little bit longer before you get into that power brick that Jefferson and I want you to bring. Your turn, Jefferson. Uh, timing is everything. This is a generic photography rule, uh, but it applies because we're talking about treating the iPhone as a camera, not as a phone, as, as your main camera, which happens to have lenses in it and, a, and an image sensor. It's a camera. 
Okay. This is your camera. So, and we want you to shoot like a pro does and pros know the timing is everything. When do they take most of their photos? It's in two magic times of the day. It's in the morning and it's uh, during the magic blue hour, right around sunset time. And right afterwards, that's when the natural light is at its best. And people look their best. Uh, nature looks their best. Landscapes look their best. Um, softest colors and um, timing is everything. When I was in Bosque del Apache with Scott in New Mexico, we started every day at 4.30 a.m. Now, part of that wasn't just the timing. It was to get a position uh, because there were so many photographers there and to you know, get, your, get your best spot. But the birds did this magic blast off every morning right after the sun came up and timing is everything. Had we not been there, Right after the sun rose, we wouldn't have gotten the shot. And um, I, I did a picture this week people really liked. Uh, it's, in, it's in our iPhone magazine of a sunset in Manhattan Beach. And it was a good 15 minutes after the sunset because I know that a sunset is fine, but it's the after sunset show that's the best. Timing was everything. The picture came out great. Look for it on in the magazine. That's one of my top tips. Back to you, Scott. I agree. And the opposite of that is like, don't take pictures at noon. <laughs> when the sun is really high in the sky, it creates harsh shadows. It's very tough to uh, recover from that. So I agree with you. And, and that afterglow period you're talking about, Jefferson, I can't tell you how many people I've seen on it. They go on a camera trip to like Oregon. They go through a lot of expense to set up on the beach. There's actually a beach they're called Sunset Beach. It's beautiful for sunsets. And then as soon as the sun crosses the horizon, they start packing their gear up. And a good 15, 20 minutes later, there's some really pretty stuff. So I like that tip. Here's a couple of more technical tips. Um, turn on Do Not Disturb. You don't want your notifications going off. I used to have an assistant who got a notification about every 2.9 nanoseconds from something. And it used to drive me crazy. Turn off those notifications Turn on the do not disturb. You don't need phone calls. You don't need to have notifications while you're taking serious pictures. There's no reason to leave that stuff on. Just get rid of it. Again, anything that doesn't tax the phone gives you more battery life. More battery life means more fun taking pictures. Back to you, Jeff. <laughs> Unless all you care about is Instagram and posting in Instagram stories, please shoot sideways, AKA horizontal. Cause when you turn the camera vertically, you're cutting off half of the picture, if not more, when you post it, there's these giant bodies of empty space. I would rather if you, if you want a vertical shot, hold the camera horizontally and then crop it later. Uh, but I, that, that's a big, as somebody who does video uh, and people hand you these vertical videos sometimes that, you know, just have these giant black bars on the side, it doesn't look great. And you're losing valuable stuff that you would have been photographing. How do you feel about that? I hate it. 
I, you know, I hate to say this when we're gone and done, probably all video will be vertical because that's the way the kids are doing it now. But I'm, I, it's very hard for you to get me to look at a video that's shot vertically. I know that there's, that's the thing now. A lot of people do that, but shoot it, shoot it horizontally. Come on, folks. I mean, now if you're shooting still photographs, sometimes portrait mode is perfect. But if you're shooting video, yeah, I agree. Turn it over on the side. I just, that's the way I feel. Another thing yeah. that, so I just say Empire State Building, Leaning Tower Pizza, Pizza, some things you have to shoot vertically, but not in a video, please. Yeah, I agree. Right? I totally agree. Totally agree. Now, uh, let's talk about um, a couple of things that really help you treat this like a serious camera. And the first one is to consider using third-party apps. We talk about these a lot on the show. The native camera app is great. Most people don't take the time to learn how to use it, and it is a little bit Byzantine to navigate. There are apps from other companies that are either free or low cost. Moment, for instance, has a thing called Pro Camera. It's $5.99. And when it says Pro Camera, what it means is it gives you Pro Camera-like controls. You can set everything from white balance to exposure. It's really cool. I happen to like First Light from the company Filmic Inc. That's another one that does the same thing for still photos. And of course, people know I like Filmic Pro for video. There are a myriad of these apps. Find them. Some of them allow you free trials. Most of them are anywhere from free to 15 bucks. It's a small investment to make to turn your camera into something that's much more powerful. And some of them do very specialized things, Jefferson. In fact, a lot of people talk to me about wanting to do tricks on their iPhone uh, to make, you know, stuff that maybe they are used to making with a DSLR, but it's tougher. So there's a program, for instance, called Slow Shutter, another one called Spectre. Both of these will let you do what we call long exposure photography, you know, where you get the silky waterfall and all that kind of stuff. So explore your, explore your third-party apps. Okay, let me just say that I could get you to do the, all, both of those things in the Apple uh, camera app as well. Um, the first, uh, the classic shot, any urban downtown, nighttime cars, going by, we turn them into streaks of color. And that's very popular to be done on cameras. You can do that on the iPhone in the Apple camera app in night mode. That is the feature, the second feature in the camera app that only comes on in the dark at nighttime automatically. Then you can go in there and you can adjust and put it on manually and actually keep the shutter open for as long as 30 seconds if it's on a tripod. Apple knows <laughs> they could figure it out. If you're holding it handheld, I think you could hold it uh, for about a second. You, the shutter will stay open for a second. Still looks, looks pretty good. So that's the streak shot. As far as the silky water shot, you can do that in live photos mode uh, by using the uh, long exposure trick in live photos. Live photos started as a way to give you three seconds of video footage with your still, but has these um, bonus features like bounce and loop and long exposure. I'll post one of the, my long exposure shots in our photo magazine so you can see. Looks great and you don't have to, you don't have to even be on a tripod for this, which is pretty amazing. If you're in the right place and the water is flowing, it looks awesome. 
Yeah, I use that trick and I like that. The only reason I probably use some of these apps is they give you a little bit more control and longer, long exposures. But you're right. You can do almost anything we ever talk about you can do on the native app. It's just that most people don't take the time to learn it. And it isn't the best interface. All right. You can do you can do what I'm about to suggest on a lot of different apps, including if you know what you're doing, the native camera app. But you do want to control things like your exposure. Uh, you want to control things like your shutter speed. You want to control things like your white balance. These are things that if Jefferson, when you take your big Sony camera out, you think about white balance, you think about shutter speed, you think about exposure, you, you adjust a dial, you adjust a setting. Too many times when we take our smartphones out, we forget about that stuff. But if you really want to be in control over the final result, if you think like Ansel Adams did, where you pre-visualize what you want this picture to look like before you even press the shutter. Those are just some basic things. They're very easy to control, especially once again in third-party apps. Even in the native app, you can control them to some extent. So pay attention to your exposure and shutter speed. For instance, if you know you're trying to photograph a deer running across the mountain, you might want a fast shutter speed so that you can freeze the action. Or you might want a slow one so you can make it look like a pan blur. But you need to know what you're doing to get that done. And you need to be deliberative and you need to be thoughtful and you need to be selective in your choices. So set your exposure, your shutter speed, and your white balance, particularly white balance. It's one of my pet peeves, Jefferson, to see people have pictures that they've taken and they haven't balanced and you've got these yellow cast or blue cast that mm. just make the picture look ugly. So set your white balance. Uh, come, come have a hot pastrami sandwich with me at Canner's Deli in Los Angeles sometime, which is just swimming in yellow, thick light. It drives me crazy. Um, I've not been able to fix that one, but they're, they're old lights from the, uh, from a hundred years ago are pretty, pretty awful. I'm, I'm okay though. If I can have a good hot pastrami sandwich, I'll deal with it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> tip steady your shot, please. By putting both hands on the smartphone. I can't tell you how many times I see people holding the phone with one hand. Uh, would you hold the camera with one hand? And, and I mean, yeah, the phones have wonderful image stabilization, but they're, they're, they're not magic. And, you know, both hands is going to keep the phone steadier. Uh, again, nobody likes a fuzzy photo. If you're shooting in low light, one great trick is to, to steady the shot is to place the phone against a book, a ledge, something to lean it against if you don't have a tripod with you. And then, of course, the other thing is for you, uh, Sam's tripod, to lean against a pole, against a wall, and uh, that will help steady the shot as well. How, how, what are your tips for steadying on the phone? Well, you know me, Jefferson. I'm a tripod guy. I, I love tripods. I always have a tripod with me or something like it. I do talk about the platypod a lot. The platypod fits in your shirt pocket. It has a place to put a ball head on it. And then, of course, with any lens mount of some kind, you can attach it. And now you can set that thing anywhere, including places that don't even allow tripods. You can, you can tie it off with a rubber band. You can do all sorts of things, but I, I carry a real tripod, a much beefier tripod than I need, frankly, most of the time, especially because I do a lot of video and I want fluid head pans. I want it to look just like a cinematic motion kind of picture thing. But uh, I, I love your tips about using a wall or, or just setting it up on a book. Those are important things. Uh, one more thing here that I want to talk about uh, before I move on is to make sure that you set your focus. 
like it was a DSLR. How many times, Jefferson, have we seen people just sort of point the camera in the general direction of the thing they want? And the iPhone's pretty good at guessing what you want. But down where you live and you go by that beautiful pier, maybe you want the first pillar of the pier to be in focus, but you don't care about the last one. You know, you can touch to focus on almost all apps. You can tell the iPhone, I want to focus here. I want to, and also often sets the exposure for that spot. So adjust your focus. Now, some apps like Filmic's First Light and Filmic Pro allow very precise focus. In fact, some of them even have professional tools like focus peaking, which allow you to see what specifically is in focus. Focus is a critical part of photography, folks. And once again, if I sound like I'm talking about DSLRs and interchangeable lens cameras, it's kind of because I am because that's where I come from. And I try to apply all of those things as much as I can when I'm using my smartphone. Yeah, I think it was a few weeks ago we ran down the basic features of the um, the app. There's uh, seven, I think there are 13 of them, of the iPhone camera app. Mm. I'm trying to call up uh, the focus where, where I think it's three, the third. No, it's not three. Um, well, I'll figure it out. But uh, but uh, check out our show. We, we went through every one of them. And the, the focus is just actually right in the middle of the screen. Just put your finger on it and you can adjust the focus that way. Um, my other favorite tip is the selfie timer. I, we've talked about it before, but you know, you got this great timer that, that is available in three or 10 second increments. And not only will it allow you to be in the shot, if you have a tripod with you and you could stick it uh, on the tripod in your smartphone adapter, but for selfies, it is so much better because you have three to 10 seconds to set up your shot to get everybody in the frame and you're not worrying about where your finger is going on the screen because it doesn't even matter. You're just letting the camera roll. So I know that Scott is a huge selfie guy. He does <laughs> what, about five to 10 selfies a day. Uh, <laughs> I've done five to 10 selfies in my life. Nobody wants a picture of me. Well, I actually love that tip, Jefferson, and here's why. Because the other side of that coin is, in the old days, setting up on a tripod, those of us especially that used cameras with mirrors know about this thing called mirror bounce. And so you would use a remote release. You don't want to touch the camera to set the shutter off because even that minor touching on the camera creates vibration, which can soften your image. So you can also use the very same timer that you're talking about to trigger your landscape photograph where you don't want to have to even touch the camera with your hands when the shutter goes off. So that's kind of a dual purpose tip, I would call it. Um, I do yeah, want to mention, for, for, particularly in night mode. Yeah, particularly in night mode. I do want to mention that you have the ability to control the quality of your image by shooting in raw on the new iPhones. Even the native app has this, and all the third-party apps have this. You can shoot in RAW or TIFF. You will collect more data than if you shoot in JPEG. So remember, the other thing is when shooting in RAW, you have the ability to do far more post-processing. So if you missed something, if you were a little bit off on your white balance, if you were a little bit off on your exposure, you can correct it. If you're shooting in JPEG, folks, that stuff is baked in. And you have far less latitude, far less ability to fix that picture in post. Now, the disadvantage of shooting raw 
or TIFF is that it takes up more storage space. But now that we can buy these phones with just massive storage, it's probably a good idea if you can afford it to do it. And then for me, for almost everything, unless I'm just taking a picture to put up on eBay, I shoot in RAW. And I've always shot in RAW. And all the post-processing tools like you like in Lightroom and Photoshop take advantage of RAW and let you do very powerful things. It's a matter of clicking one button on the phone, no matter what app you're using. Um, yeah, I, I, I do the RAW processing in Lightroom. Uh, you could also do it in, in um in Photoshop. Have you tried Luminar? Does Luminar do uh, raw processing on the phone? It does. Luminar has its own raw conversion engine. Okay. And where are you doing your raws? Uh, what program? I tend to use Luminar. Yeah. Oh, okay. It works well. I, I love Luminar. I mean, Everyone thinks because I worked at the company that I'm shilling for it. I haven't gotten a check from them in a long time, <laughs> but, but I'm telling you, uh, they do a good job. But I also occasionally open Adobe Camera Raw, particularly if I was in a difficult situation. Adobe Camera Raw is a very good program. It comes with Photoshop and Lightroom. It's a very good way to deal with it. Uh, Topaz also has a nice raw conversion uh, product. There's many different ways to do it, but... The important thing is, is if you don't make the selection when you're shooting, if you don't choose raw, you can't go back and change your mind. If you shot it as a JPEG, you've baked the cake. It's if it was burnt, it's burnt. And if you, if it okay. was too raw, so, it's too raw. So let, let me, uh, let me weigh in with a iPhone photography tip here, which is the flip of what you just said. If you, you didn't shoot raw, you can't go backwards and turn it into raw, but on, in portrait mode, in cinematic mode, um, and in some of the Instagram like filters that Apple has, you're actually able to take the picture and then change the, change the f-stop afterwards, change the white balance afterwards. Uh, it's a pretty amazing change the lighting afterwards, which is a freedom that I never had shooting 35 millimeter film ever or shooting on a DSLR. Never had that freedom. Mirrorless camera, never had that freedom. Uh, it, it is pretty amazing when you do a, a portrait of somebody and, and you think the background should be at F4, but eh, I actually want to see what's in the background. Let's change it to F16 and eliminate the blur. That's a pretty cool thing and pretty heady. And the other thing is the lighting in portrait mode. Uh, there's, uh, I forget the names of them, but uh, um, studio mode and some of the other ones, or actually just converting into black and white. You could do that all after the, after the, after you did the shot. And it's a lot of fun. That's right. Whether or not you shot in raw. And I do think that's cool, particularly the cinematic mode. That's the one that gets me, Jefferson. That, what's really cool about that is if you have, if you shoot in ProRes in video on the iPhone 13 and you take it into Final Cut Pro, you can actually still in Final Cut Pro change later where the focus was. <laughs> it's off the phone. It's into your computer. It's in Final Cut Pro. And you can still make those decisions, which I just... I'm, I'm with you, man. It's just we're living in great times in terms of technology. All right. How about if you want to keep your camera level, just turn on that little grid. That's one of the things that I use for a couple different things. If I have a mountain range and I want to make sure the horizon's level, I just turn on the grid. It gives you all different choices of kinds of grid lines you can use to line up your phone. And for those people that do lay flat photography, Jefferson, which is very popular with food photographers, product photographers, eBay photographers, 
those grids can help keep the phone perfectly aligned so that you don't have warps and distortion. And it's simply a matter of touching a little button and you turn on the grid and away you go. Uh, another thing that I want to mention that's important with that is that you consider using the grid and the tripod just because I'm a freak about getting everything level. Yes. And speaking of levels, I screw up and sometimes my levels are off and I have a friend, Jan, who gives me a hard time about it all the time. Thank God for the Lightroom app, which lets me adjust the levels after the fact. Horizon, Horizon, you know, I, I live in, in, near, in a beach community and I take a lot of pictures of the, the ocean that sometimes my horizon is off. I'm sorry, Scott, but I can always fix it afterwards by opening up the Apple camera, the, the photos app, hitting the crop tool and straightening it, which is fantastic. We didn't have that back in the 35 millimeter days, did we? No, we, we didn't have any of this stuff. Let's just be honest. So we're running out of time here. We're getting through quite a few tips, but there's a couple I really want to make sure that I point out. Uh, these are still general photography tips in some ways. If you can, get in close. The closer you get, the better your photographs get. A very famous photographer once said that. Change your perspective. Don't shoot everything from five feet, six inches tall. Get down on your knees or stand up on a little footstool or go up on the stairs. Look at things from a high and a low perspective and make sure that if you're shooting stills, this is the one place where it's okay if you shoot a horizontal and a vertical, then you can choose between them. These are all three things that I used to do when I shot with a film camera and then a DSLR and then a mirrorless camera. And I still do them with my iPhone. I change my perspective. I try to get in close and I try to shoot a horizontal and a vertical whenever I'm shooting a still photograph, horizontal when doing video. Okay, well, get down, get down, get down tonight. Um, speaking of, of what Scott does, <laughs> I was in a Santa Fe, and New Mexico, and I was in the state capitol, and I love the dome, and I wanted to get the whole dome in the shot, and I'm a tall guy, I'm six feet plus, and where I was standing, I just couldn't get it all in. So I lie, lay on the floor, looking up at the dome and I was able to get it. And I thought that was pretty cool until I ran into a guy who said, Oh, I got one better than you. I just put the phone on the floor and pressed the shutter. And which in my case, I would have used the timer, right? I would have set it up, put the phone on the floor and then set the timer, which, which would have been cool. And of course, those of you who want to pick at that right now know that if you put the lens, if you put the phone on the floor and have the lens facing upward, you wouldn't see the shot because the preview screen's on the other side. So uh, the guy I met in Santa Fe was using the selfie camera for that. Uh, so get down, get down tonight and please never use the flash that is in the iPhone. It's horrendous. I've never seen a good shot of anybody looking better. Uh, you know, just forget it. It's not going to work. Just, you know, either drag somebody in front of the light, bring a light with you, do something. Uh, Scott probably has some ideas on this as well. Well, our good friend Rick Salmon has a very famous saying, get the dadgum flash off the camera. 
<laughs> and since the iPhone flash is built into the camera, that makes it impossible. So I use a Profoto C1, which is a nice little handheld light. You can buy all kinds of inexpensive LED cube lights like the Luma Cube. Get them off the camera and close to the subject it's going to work you're right i think the flash should just be removed from the iphone it's the biggest waste of space and until they can figure out a better way to do that with computational photography that is a no bueno before we go on with our last few tips i just want to remind you we're here every single friday we hope you subscribe we hope you tune in do us a favor tell your friends about the show that are into iphonography and video also, please go over to iTunes and subscribe, even if you don't listen there, because that really helps us to get found in the Apple ecosystem, since this is about the iPhone. And be sure that you send us your feedback, your questions, all to the iPhone Photo Show at Gmail address, visiting our website as well for show notes at www.iphonephotoshow.com. Dot com. couple more tips and we're going to wrap this up. It's been a lot of fun. My gosh, there's a lot to talk about. I'm still not even halfway through my list, Jefferson, but I do have a couple of others. We wanted to talk about uh, things like triggering the shutter. You can do that by pressing the shutter button on the app, but you can also do that by using your volume button. There's a setting for that in the native camera app. It also works in almost all third-party apps. So that's kind of cool. And an even more stable shot, you can use a remote trigger. There are several out there. Joby makes one. Moment makes one. Polar Pro makes one. So these Bluetooth triggers let you trigger the phone remotely so that you don't have to touch it, which means you're not going to introduce vibration, which means you're going to have sharper pictures. So give that a try. All right. My last tip is to have fun. Go crazy. <laughs> you're, 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 you're shooting digital. Nobody's charging you anything. You don't have to get your film developed. Get it like, like Scott does. He gets down on the ground. Get, uh, lie on your back. Um, get in people's face. Uh, take pictures. Uh, get on top of a step stool. Uh, don't get on a step stool. Jump on top of your car. Ha just have a great time uh, because this is our time. We we've never been we've never had tools like this. We've never been able to take so many photos and to be able to share them. Uh, storage space seems like it's expensive, but it's really dirt cheap. You know when you think about it, and just have a good time. I totally agree. If this isn't fun for you folks, I want to promise you something. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> I've been a photographer all my life. It has been the joy of my life. It's been the central focus of my life. It's been the reason I live. It's been the reason I work. It's put food on my table. It's introduced me to my best friends. It is an incredible, incredible incredible gift to be able to protect memories with a camera. I like to think of us who use a camera seriously as high priests and priestesses of memory protection. We're protecting memories for ourselves, for our friends, protecting the memories of the people, places, and things we photograph. This should be fun. We hope that you've had fun listening to all of our tips. Believe it or not, we could do it again, and there's that many more. But if you're going to get serious about using the best camera you have with you all the time, which is going to be the one that's in your iPhone, we hope that you'll listen back through this show. And that's the beauty of a podcast. You can listen to this over and over in case you miss some. We're grateful for you listening in, and we are very excited 
to tell you that next week we're going to have some prize announcements for our Flipboard Magazine contest to enter. All you have to do is ask for an invite to Flipboard Magazine, iPhone Photo Show at Gmail. Until next Friday, we hope you go out and, as Jefferson said, have a lot of fun taking pictures. And we will see you on the next episode of the iPhone Photo Show. Bye-bye, everybody.